Hey, you know, there's some people that are just really good at planning, right? How many planners are out there, right? People that just, that they're really good at planning events, planning uh, social interactions, planning parties, those things, right? They, we all have those friends that are just fantastic planners. They, they plan out every little detail. And it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to plan and organize and, and plan out these things. My wife is, uh, is a very gifted planner. She loves to plan parties, uh, plan events, and those types of things. And she's very gifted at it. She plans all the decorations, all the things to do for everybody. So if you come to my house, because we have an event at, at my house, it doesn't matter your age group. It doesn't matter if you have kids or you don't have kids. It doesn't matter. There's going to be something for you to do. There's going to be something for your kids to do. There's always going to be something. And she's very gifted at planning you know for everybody right and, and some people are great at planning vacations or, or trips that there's always something that is the next thing to do there's never a dull moment you go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing and they plan every moment of that vacation out and that takes some that, that takes a talent that is a talent to be able to do that and plan that far in, a, in advance and plan all those details. And some people, <laughs> some people plan their entire lives out by the time you know they're ten years old, so they know exactly uh, what they're going to do as a career. They know what they're going to, who they're going to marry. They they know every little piece of their life by the time they're ten, twelve years old. Planners are needed. People that plan are needed. Planning is needed. We should always have a plan. But what I want to kind of talk through today is what happens when things don't go as planned. What happens when those plans don't matter? And I'm not talking about the plans that you made fell through. I mean, what happens when something happens that you didn't plan for? An event, a tragedy, a disaster. What happens when crisis subverts your plans? It takes everything out from underneath you. You didn't plan for this to happen. In 2020, in February of 2020, uh, my sister, uh, she had just had a baby boy that was born at 24 weeks. Uh, so he's born extremely premature. He's actually stillborn. Uh, he was born dead. Um, God miraculously raised him back to life uh, in the hospital. And he was in the NICU the neonatal intensive care unit in Louisville, Kentucky. And some of my family, my siblings and my parents we, and my wife, we were taking turns driving up and staying in Louisville, uh, Kentucky with my sister at the McDonald's, uh, the Ronald McDonald house with her other boy so that she could spend time with her newborn. And in February of, of 2020, I was staying up there for a week and spending time with my sister and taking care of my nephew. While I was there, there was this new virus that had been working its way kind of across the country. And uh, there was whispers of potential uh, schools closing. And there was even the potential that churches would be asked to close down. And I remember talking about it to my wife and talking about it to some of the, the staff at my church uh, on, uh, you know, the likelihood of whether that would happen or not. And I, I really didn't think that it would, but, you know, if it does, it does. So you fast forward a little bit, and on March 15th, I announced from the platform at my church, I'm the pastor at this church, 
uh, in Kentucky, and I announced from the platform on March 15th that we would not be closing our doors, but that we would suspend our midweek and our Sunday evening services, but that we were not closing our doors for in-person services. That was on March 15th. Four days later, on March 19th, we made an announcement that we would be closing our doors for all physical in-person services for two weeks. You know, plans changed real fast, right? I come out on March 15th, we're not closing our doors. Four days later, I came out and said, we're closing our doors. And I said it was going to be for two weeks, because that's what was asked. And that two weeks, it drug on, and it drug on, and it drug on. And that two weeks became almost three months. And, and keep in mind, I'm not trying to uh, weigh the right or wrong of those decisions. I understand that different, uh, you know, different churches done handled the COVID crisis differently. Uh, in some cases, still handling certain certain aspects of it. And so, this is not to talk about uh, the right or wrong of the actions that were taken. Uh, I want to look at just the fact that everybody's plans were rocked. Keep in mind, I'm a new pastor at this point of six months, and things were booming and growing at church. It was, you know, people were coming in. We were uh, making major facility improvements. We were constantly rolling out new programs for different age groups, and uh, we were booming and growing, and the plan was working. That's what it felt like. And then all of a sudden, the plans... All the plans in the world didn't matter. The unknown suddenly wasn't next year or five years from now. The unknown was now tomorrow. In some cases, it was a few hours away. You didn't know what the afternoon held. You didn't know what the next day looked like. There was no handbook. There were no past experiences to pull from on how to handle this. There was no pastoral leadership or or mentors that I could go to and say how did you handle something similar previous because nobody had handled anything like this previously all the plans that we had made none of it mattered because there was no plan for this we were sort of driving with the headlights off so to speak we couldn't see the potholes we couldn't see the next curve the next bump uh, the the tree in the road we couldn't see those things and it was just one thing after another after another. And we'd done things during that time where we were closed down and over the, 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 that next year. We never would have considered doing before. Uh, I remember one instance where I had actually a staff member uh, shortly after we closed. Uh, we had a staff member that passed away that was a board member somebody I admired and looked up to and honored and, and loved and cherished. And he passed away, not due to COVID. It was due to a tragic accident. But because everything was closed, we couldn't even have a funeral. And we did the best we could. We did a virtual funeral. We privatized it for family and friends, and we broadcast a virtual funeral. There was no visitation, not the typical things that you would see. You can't plan for those things. And it was hard because everything that was, was moving so right and going so right, suddenly none of that mattered. The brakes pumped instantly and we came to a, what felt like a screeching halt. 
Because all the plans that we had made, none of it mattered. You know, they say that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I agree that we need to plan and we need to, to prevent things. But that's only true if the ounce of prevention prevents what the cure would be needed for. There's wisdom in planning for unforeseen events and crises. But don't get so caught up in planning for failure that you can't celebrate success. There, sometimes I think we get so focused on planning for what could happen and what could go wrong that we don't just celebrate what God is doing in the moment. We don't celebrate the right. We don't celebrate what is happening now because we're so worried about losing it. You know, there's, there, there's some, uh, you know, I've seen churches and I've seen people that are so, uh, so intent on maintaining what they have that they never, uh, they never reach out to try to do more, to try to, to, to try to affect a greater change, to see more people touched. Because we get in this maintenance mindset where we want to prevent bad things from happening we want to prevent it, and so we don't stretch ourselves. Don't get so caught up in planning for failure that you won't reach for something that is unattainable. Because at the end of the day, if you're following him, you're following his plan, it's not, a t it's not unattainable. It, it may be unattainable for you, but at the end of the day, God is the one that should be driving the ship. You know, Jesus said, don't take any thought for what you eat or drink. He says, consider the lilies. He said, think about all of these things that God looks after. That There's not a sparrow that falls that he doesn't see. And if he takes so much care and pride and thought in those things, how much more will he take care of you? So I understand that we need to plan. We, ha we have to have planners. We have to uh, prevent and plan for things that, uh, that we think could happen and plan for things that we, we may not think will happen but could. We do need to plan for things unforeseen. But you cannot plan for everything. You see, there's a healthy proactive nature, but there's also a healthy reactive nature. Because if all you do is focus on the ounce of prevention, then you will drive yourself nuts trying to plan for and prepare for everything. And I have news for you, you won't be able to. So even though, yes, we need to be proactive, there is such a thing as a healthy, reactive response. And that's what we have to learn to do, is we have to learn how to react in a healthy manner. Reaction is not a bad thing. Life will always be filled with unplanned events. Reaction is an unavoidable fact of life. How you react to circumstances will either make those circumstances easier to manage, or it will make the circumstance exponentially worse. You see, an unhealthy reaction can create problems that never existed. It'll create its own set of problems that aren't even derived from the actual circumstance. It's only based off your reaction. So we have to learn both of those. We have to learn to be proactive and plan for things and, and prepare, yes. But we cannot prepare for everything. 
So we have to learn how to not let the ship and the boat be rocked when the things that we could have never seen when they do come, because it may take us off guard. It may catch us, uh, you know, asleep at the wheel, if you will. It may catch us completely unawares, but it did not catch him unawares. A great example of biblical leadership to me is Moses. Now, I understand absolutely Jesus is the the biblical representation for everything. One of the things I want to point out, though, Jesus was perfect. So we should absolutely strive to be like Jesus. I'm not perfect. I'm a man. I'm a person. And sometimes I need to see another leader, a biblical uh, example of a leader that failed, a leader that uh, was willing to do things that uh, were outside the norm. I need to see the fleshly representation, the fallible representation of leadership. And I always look to Moses, and there's a whole study on, on the leadership of Moses that I do that we'll probably do on the podcast at some point over, over a few weeks' time. But uh, here's this guy that God spoke to to go lead a bunch of people that are, he may or may not have had much of a relationship. Most likely he did not. Uh, you know, Going back to Exodus chapter 3, that's where God calls Moses. And he says, hey, I want you to go lead this people. And over and over he is challenged and he finds himself in a place between God and the people. In Exodus, the, the, the tail end of ch- Exodus chapter 4 and really all of Exodus chapter 5, it shows this representation where he is celebrated at the end of Exodus 4 when he goes to the Israelites and says, Hey, God told me to, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. I'm going to lead you out of bondage. And they celebrated him. He was this great uh, leader. Then they were going to follow him because God had, had anointed him as a leader. And then things got bad in Exodus chapter 5 and things got hard. And they come out and they run into Moses and Aaron and they essentially say, man, we wish you had never come. He's celebrated and despised by the people all at the same time. And you see Moses continually arguing for God to the people and arguing for the people to God. For those of you that are in ministry, he is an an incredible example of that balance, of being willing to stand in the gap for the people. Go to Exodus 32, read that that passage, where he stands in the gap for the people, where God says, I'm going to destroy them. I'm sorry I brought them out, and I'm done. And Moses says, God, no, you can't. Remember they're your people. Remember Abraham. Remember all these things. He was willing to stand in the gap for the people's sake. And yet he was also willing to face angry crowds for the sake of God in his direction. Go to Exodus chapter 16 and read that account. You cannot lead what you do not love. Moses was continually willing to stand in the middle between God and between the people. You cannot lead what you do not love. And when I'm talking leadership, I'm not talking just exclusively ministerial or in, in a church or I'm not talking about in a career. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about anywhere. You can't lead your family if you do not love your family. You can't lead uh, the people at your, your career where you work if you don't love what you do. You can't effectively lead. You can boss, you can have the right directions and things, but uh, 
You can't lead what you do not love. And Moses, he got really, uh, it wears on you. Leadership is, is a heavy mantle to wear. And Moses himself in Numbers 11, he says, yeah, I can't do this on my own. And he surrounded himself with people to carry him and carry the people. And in Numbers 11, he says, hey, I need 70 people, 70 elders. And he brings them in. I'm going to tell you something. Surround yourself with spiritual people. Those 70 elders were handpicked because of their relationship with God, their devotion to God. And he surrounded himself with people to carry him, to carry the people, to carry the weight. There was no jealousy. If you read Numbers 11, uh, they come into, the, into the, 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 the tabernacle and Moses gives them the directive that they're going to start leading with the people. And it says they begin to prophesy. Now prophesy, that word does not mean tell the future. That prophesy, that word simply means inspired speech. It means God is speaking through them. And so it says they begin to, to prophesy. They begin to speak as God spoke through them. And there were two people that were still at the camp and God moved on them too and they began to speak uh, divinely. They began to prophesy, speak as God spoke through them. Joshua goes to Moses and he says, hey, these two people, God is speaking through them. And Moses looks at him and he says, what, are you jealous for my sake? Are you jealous for me? He said, let them. He says, I wish everybody could speak in that manner. That God would be so close to everybody that they could all speak as God spoke through them. There was no jealousy. There was no stealing my platform. There was a desire that everybody that God would use everybody at the same level. Maybe not the same way, but what God would use everyone the same way that he was using Moses. I'm going to tell you, we would have never made it through the COVID crisis without the men and women that came together and held one another up for the sake of the long term. For the sake of not what the journey looked like, not the pain, but the purpose, the end, the end game. What are we doing it for? Unless you know what you're doing it for. Unless you know the purpose. Unless you know the destination. Then it's easy to turn around and go home. In leadership, you have to be willing to be challenged. You even have to embrace it. And these are things that I've learned the hard way. And things that I was not good at. And as I look back through, through those times and through times in my life, and even as a pastor, being challenged is healthy. Embrace it. Leadership is fallible. You are fallible. So be willing to accept someone that's telling you that you're wrong. You may disagree that you're wrong, but be willing to accept what they are telling you. So I'm going to leave you with three things. Number one, in leadership whether that be in your home, whether that be in your job, whether that be in your church, you cannot plan for everything. You have to develop a healthy balance between preparation and adjustment. You have to be ready to adjust process and methods. We adjust the process 
not the purpose. We adjust the methods, not the message. You may have to be ready to go a different route. When, when, when God pulled the Israelites out, it says that he, he didn't take them the short way. He didn't take them the easy way, not the short way, because there were uh, other tribes that he was worried that they would get into it with. So he took them the long way, not the short way, not the quick way. He took them a longer way. Sometimes you have to be ready to go a different route than what you thought you would. You see, you can lead by not having all of the answers. You cannot plan for everything, number one. Number two, maintain focus. There was a pastor that I had in Kentucky before we moved to the Nashville area several years ago. And he had a, a, a thing that he would say all the time. And he would say, we have to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's so true. It's so true. You have to keep the main thing the main thing. You have to maintain the focus. God is always first. It's your primary focus always is his will, his plan, his desire for your life. Follow him. Read your word. Get in the word. Maintain that focus. Keep your eyes on him. And your secondary focus has to be what you're leading. You have to focus on your family to lead them. If you're in a ministerial role at your church, you have to focus on the people of your church in order to lead them. You cannot lead passively. You cannot lead without focus. And it's about the long term. What truly matters is not the route. It's not the bumps in the road. It's about the arrival. It's about the destination. It is about where you are going. So don't focus on the route. Don't focus on the path. Don't focus on the bumps. Focus on the destination, on the purpose, on where you're headed. Number three, celebrate and mourn. Leadership is vulnerable. Be willing to celebrate the good things that happen, the good things that God does inside your church. The good things, celebrate Him. Celebrate uh, the, the successes that He brings and that the, the, the lives that He changes. Celebrate the happy things. And mourn the loss and mourn the things and be willing to be vulnerable when things don't go well. Vulnerability is important because leadership is not stoic. It's very dynamic. Leadership is emotional. Emotions are the evidence of your mindset. Now, granted, sometimes our emotions control our mindset. It shouldn't be that way, but your, your mindset should be evidenced by how you respond, by your emotions. People should see passion. They should see empathy. They should see those things. So I'm going to leave you with this. Love what you lead. Lead with passion and lead with purpose. Plan for what you can and learn how to react in a healthy manner. And those last three things, don't think you have all the answers. Don't lose focus and be vulnerable. Be someone who thinks, feels, loves, has passion, has faith, and yet is willing to be challenged. Because leadership is only effective if the leader is real.